0: Thank you so much, Adam, for joining me today. Super excited to chat about what you and Triarchy are doing. You, it's a it's a sibling-owned company, right? Which is very uh unique and awesome yes. to work with your your family on something. You know, you're dedicating decades of your life to, maybe even you know, life's work to. It's, it's really incredible to do it alongside family. So that's pretty awesome. So before we get into to everything that you're doing now and the brand and everything you're thinking about in the future in the world of denim talk about your journey and maybe we could start a little bit about uh your time in the italy factory sort of learning about denim um if you want to take us a little bit previously before that that's up to you but it feels like that's really cool place to start is how'd you even get to a a denim factory floor in Italy to learn about this For sure.
1: I always say that denim found me because it was never (laughs) something that I sought out. I had this random opportunity come in front of me where a friend introduced me to these guys who owned factories in Italy when they were in Vancouver, which is where I'm from. And they asked us to help them find somebody that could be their North American liaison for the licensed brands that they held. Um, and I was fresh out of university. So I was like, I can do that. Um, I'll come back and forth to Italy and help you guys sell. Sure. Gladly. Um, so it was about an hour, southeast of Rome kind of just right in the mm-hmm. center near Campobasso but I started going back and forth and uh escorting them to the trade shows in Vegas and basically just being the guy who speaks English but after a while I noticed that they were paying money for licenses, and yet the onus was still on them to pay for marketing for these brands that didn't have any exposure either. So I was kind of thinking, why don't you guys just start your own brand? Because you you own the factory and you have access to all of the things, and then you can save these licensing fees and just put them into your own brand. And so they asked me to help them find a designer to do that. And so instead of doing that, I... Went uh, and taught myself how to use Illustrator and designed them a collection, which I thought they're either going to laugh at me or they're going to buy it. And it was the latter, which was great. And so we developed this line together uh, right in 2008. And when we were ready to bring it to market, was when 2008 happened. And it was really sad because the factories shut down and this town mm. where I was working was really the kind of town in Italy where everyone was related and they all took me mm. in, and I, I I could walk down the street and everyone was like ah, oh, ciao Adam like it was yeah. really special and then it ended and uh, so I left but I came back to Canada with this near two-year crash course on all things denim and it kind of clearly resonated with me and I didn't want to let go of it so I sat down with my brother and sister my brother at the time was building motorbikes and (laughs) my sister was modeling and we just kind of sat down and I said you know this feels kind of both of what you two are doing lean into denim as well so why don't we just recalibrate this and we did and we brought it to market we named the brand triarchy because triarchy means three things coming together to make one um, which is the three the three of us and we brought it to market and we got it into stores in Canada and then we started building the e-com and it started growing and we were totally not going to say unprepared. We were completely lost at sea in this world, but when it became clear that we would need to look for, bigger production Mm. than what we currently had because when you're operating in these little facilities that are you know a few tables of sewing machines and maybe one or two laundries um laundry machines going it doesn't really set off any warning Bells, right? You're just making jeans, but right. when I went to look at these facilities where you would um, aspire to grow to, it just became. I started looking down this football field of washing machines so spewing water, and I just thought, I don't actually aspire to occupy a facility like this. So yeah. we kind of had to sit down and say, what are our goals here? Because if if we just want to blow this up and just be another consumptive brand, and that right. doesn't really resonate with any of us. So I think if we remove the ego from the project, then the reality is the world doesn't need another denim brand, yeah. of course. Right. So if we are going to do this, we have to do it in a way that is going to make jeans better. And we have no idea what that means. So basically we have to just stop what we're doing and we have to put the time and the work in to figure out how to do that. And of course yeah. the word... Sustainability is definitely the umbrella term that it was the wild, wild west of sustainability back then. I mean, no one knew anything. Um, But, you know, with trial and tribulation and talking to vendors and expressing concerns about water consumption and chemical use and how cotton is grown and then learning off of these people and Just working through so many different options, we finally arrived at um, sort of a blueprint for how to make jeans better. And then we found partners who we could do that with. And then once you kind of get rid of all the noise and you find these people who are just as genuinely passionate about bettering the industry, that's Mm -hmm. when we started growing together. And so we still work with the same people who, you know, when you go in to look at fabrics and they're showing you 600 different types of denim, but We can't use any of them because we, one of the things we did to become a more responsible company was to eliminate plastic. So, most I mean, not most every pair of stretch jeans that anyone's ever owned contains plastic in it, right? And what that means is that you have microplastics when you wash them. And it also means at the end of life, that's probably going to sit in a landfill for 200 years. There are technologies that can separate fibers, which I think are great. But I also think that if you're not actually supervising the return of the garments to those facilities. It's not really something we felt comfortable leading on. So we just eliminated plastic, which meant we were a denim brand that didn't have stretch jeans, which as you can imagine is kind of problematic. But (laughs) after a while of going into all these meetings with vendors and they're showing us a football field worth of stretch denim. And we said, no, we can't look at that. Eventually people started paying attention and then our denim mill in Italy, Candiani, they developed a natural rubber alternative to plastic stretch. And so hmm. we brought that to market first for women, which was um, just the holy grail of denim. And so basically we replace plastic with rubber and that gives you a stretch gene that will biodegrade under two years under the right conditions, no microplastics, and then no 200 years in landfill. So that's really, that's kind of a great story of how we decided to stop something. Vendors started saying like, huh, it doesn't try key. Why don't they wanna look at any of these fabrics? Right. And then right. they're like, let's innovate something better. And we experienced that in a lot of different facets of what we do.
0: Are they, for the rubber, um, are they making like new rubber? Cause rubber is also a material that never kind of goes away, right? If it ends in a the landfill, then it's, it's yeah. gonna stay there. Big fan of Indosol, uh, they basically, grab all these old tires from landfill and, and make uh, sneaker soles out of them. Um, so you could essentially team up with somebody like that to just get rubber that's already exists, right? Is that possible? And then actually embed that into it's, the supply yeah, chain. Yeah,
1: that was one of our questions. And the way that this, the way that the, the flow of a new technology like this works is you perfect the construction with virgin materials. Mm-hmm. Because you have uh, the consistency there. Gotcha. Um, you know, for example, a big, a big marketing tool of late is to shout about how you know we get our stretch from recycled water bottles, and that's mm. great because if you make a product that has to have stretch, and that's a reality of the business, and that's yep. what you do. But the thing is, is that when you're when you're taking something that was intended to be a water bottle, and then you're turning it into stretch mm-hmm. for jeans, you have to add things. Yep. To make it do that. And so oftentimes those ingredients aren't disclosed in the whole plastic part of the fabric. And so in the same way as doing the rubber, we don't want to add anything. So for right now, we're just using virgin rubber until the technology is perfected in a way that we can actually add another natural substance to the recycled. And the, the, the hard part is we can't add a synthetic something. Sure. And there aren't a lot of natural some things we can add. So it's a little bit like.
0: How far? Because I, I spoke, the really cool thing about this, this sector is that there are crazy amount of new materials being made, right? And technology being, trying to be infused in this whole ecosystem, right? I mean, fashion is a really, really massive industry, but it's also a massive contributor to CO2 emissions, right? And, and pollution, because it is such a massive, massive industry at scale. At a global level have you noticed like guess where are we at in sort of the technology just in the denim world right i guess what can be produced what is being produced and, and where might we we see those innovations with specifically in the denim space because it is a bit tougher with denim because it is by nature kind of a long-lasting product itself right i mean actually i got jeans from 12 years ago right that's the yeah word.
1: and i love that you said that because we just In doing life cycle assessments and discussing the end of life of jeans, I always say if you make jeans well, they shouldn't have an end of life. Yeah. Like use good materials, construct them well. The pair of jeans I'm wearing right now, I've repaired the crotch on them twice Mm -hmm. because they will blow out if you wear them every day for over a year. And so you just find a good denim repair shop and you take them in and they fix them. And guess what? You've got another year on those jeans and you can keep doing that indefinitely. I mean, I'm sure eventually you're going to have an issue. So we do have to take the end of life into account. And so in order to take the end of life into account, of course, we do things like, you know, no plastic because that's something that's important to us. But And then we also have to look at how are we... You know, what materials are we using then? Like, are we using organic cotton versus natural cotton, or not natural, just versus generic cotton, Um, which is a big conversation for us because organic um, for us is much better. It's a cleaner product that regenerates the soil. And so, Mm -hmm. but then what we found is that a lot of the times you'll buy something that's organic cotton and then you ask for the cotton certificate and somehow that's not available. And then I uncovered this whole other world where, Uh The actual yield that the earth is capable of producing in organic cotton is a certain number. And if every brand that actually says they used organic cotton was, that number is... X10. Yeah. So the, the disparity between real organic cotton and people who just say it's organic cotton is a chasm. And so it's nice to see the industry turning its focus onto regenerative cotton or transitional cotton, um, right. which gives farmers the motivation to you know transition their soil and still have crops that are people yep. want to buy. And so we're we're trying to get our mills to get behind that in a way and introduce a new word for consumers so instead of just being instead mm. of just reading cotton or, or organic to read transitional cotton yeah. on a label to know what that means and to yeah. assign value to it because to me that's the most valuable of the cottons now
0: do you ever because look there's so much that goes in into all this right and there's never going to be a perfect model whether it's the beginning of the life or the end of life of, of the product like it's never going to be perfect perfect right and so as consumers, like it's tough. Cause we don't want to be like discouraged of like, Hey, am I buying this? Like, what do I need to read? What do I need to read? Uh, it becomes so intense that, you know, I think people then just gravitate towards, I'm just going to buy the shit that's the easiest because yeah, I'm right. stressing out by re- looking at all this stuff. Right.
1: But on that note, that was exactly what we realized and we, and we really talked about it and said, you know, when somebody is going to buy a pair of jeans, it shouldn't be, okay, today is gene buying day. Let me open my laptop and get educated on all things mm-hmm. on how mm-hmm. you make jeans. That is not your job. That is my right. job. Right. And so, how are we lacking in the communication to the customer that makes it easy, like you said? It's great. So they can gravitate yeah. towards the easy, but the easy is actually the best. And so, what we did is we employed third party auditors because I don't think any, unfortunately in this world we're in right now, you can't be trusted to make claims on behalf of your own brand. It's just not, it's not something that I wanted to rely on, even though I know that we have a very strict responsibility lens and we do operate with integrity, but you don't know that. We yep. know that. And sure. so getting a third-party auditor to vet everything we say we do and then publish that information independent of us in easy to digest ways was a very smart investment for us. So we first of all we employed Green Story. Yeah. And they actually have team members in Amsterdam and I love them. Yeah. And they I actually um, met
0: with I met with the founder a couple months ago, actually. He sat yeah, down to us. He's, he's, he's the best man. Green yeah. story is awesome.
1: Yeah. And so we we first worked with them. And so what they basically do is take all the information per every single garment. So it's not a general brand reading, it's individually per garment. And so yep. we get QR codes for each garment. And so anything Triarchy makes and sells on the shop floor, you can take out your phone, you mm. can scan the QR code, and you'll get a page that shows you equivalencies in the amount of days of drinking water saved, light bulb energy use avoided, uh, land farmed without uh, pesticides, and the carbon offset to make Mm. it carbon neutral. And so, and, and it comes up in just one screen, very easy to understand. And so for me, for a customer to just literally scan that and then be like, oh, okay, well. It's huge, yeah. That's a lot of information. And then on the other side of that label, we work with retraced, which is blockchain verified supply chain. And so on the retraced QR code, you literally scan that and it'll bring up a map, like an Indiana Jones style map with Hmm. all the points and a line connecting them from where we grew the cotton how it was shipped over to where the denim was made, how we made that, where our factory is. There's no secrets. It's all there. If you want to know anyone we work with for anything you buy, it's right there. And then you can actually click through to all those businesses and you can see all the information about the individual business. You can even see pictures of the factory, how many male employees, female employees, Mm -hmm. any certifications, the PFDs of the certifications will be uploaded and you can download them. And that's unique per garment. So for us, it was, how do we make the easy choice the best choice?
0: I want to go back to, you know, we said the broad word of of sustainability, right? And that word has been, you know, around, I mean, look, you said back in sustainability. (laughs) (laughs) So how do we go, how do we go to the next stage of, of all this, right? Because like you said, anybody can say it, you know, it's really hard to do it. It's really hard to implement it, right? So.
1: We, you know, like I said, rest in peace, sustainability, because we don't use that word anymore, because unfortunately, all of the integrity that was once Mm. associated with it is gone. Mm. Um, So moving back a letter in the alphabet, what comes before sustainability is responsibility. And so we landed on responsibility for a couple of reasons. One, because if we're really going to be honest, Mm -hmm. the only sustainable brand is one that doesn't exist because we are making products that are new. And so I don't care how you cut it. It's not sustainable, okay? We're all- Metaverse genes,
0: metaverse genes. Yes, but
1: please let's not get into the metaverse right now. I don't have the bandwidth for metaverse right now. But but responsible resonates with us and that has integrity when i he- when i say responsible when i hear responsible when i see it on the wall here i'm like okay that has integrity i can mm-hmm. operate a brand under that word and so when someone asks what that means we talk about all the things that, w- that we're talking about the organic cotton the the wash processes we use in place of the harmful ones the types of cotton why they're important to us how we source things life cycle assessments you know all of these efforts green story retrace that all falls under the banner of responsibility and there's nothing sustainable about any of that it's just we're doing we're making denim responsibly we're trying to make jeans better and that's what we're doing
0: Mm -hmm.
1: um and yes of course a lot of the things that we're doing fall under a sustainable banner too because of you know if you want to dive into to that but it just sadly if i can walk past a fast fashion window and see the s word i just i can't use the s word so we use the r word instead and i hope that it just pivots over to to that without losing integrity.
0: I want to, you had mentioned before that the process in which you saw it firsthand, whether it was in Italy and and sort of when you started to, to make stuff initially versus now, Mm -hmm. I guess, and and just for the, you know, for a consumer, right. When you talk about, you know, fast fashion and stuff like, like that, can you talk a little bit about just the, the manufacturing of jeans and sort of the really negative way that is Mm. super impactful versus, you know, like a triarchy way, right? And, And sort of what you learned and then broke it down and say, hey, this is how we do it more responsibly because this way
1: is very, very harmful
0: and it can be done better, right? It can be done more responsibly.
1: Yeah, I mean, the so that beautiful light wash vintage Levi's pair of jeans that we love so much that color that I'm referring to if you wanted to achieve that with a new pair of jeans so basically any denim you ever buy comes in that rich dark blue color Mm -hmm. so you pick the denim that you want to use and you cut and sew it and then you would start to apply a series of wash processes that would likely look like a stone wash so you're going to put the denim in a huge vat with rocks and you're going to you're gonna beat them up with water. You drain that and you can't really repurpose that water because it has all the stone runoff. So you're just discarding that. And then you're probably gonna do an acid or a bleach to get some of the pigment down. And so you're going to need hot water. You're going to need bleach. You might use acid and you're just going to play around with the chemicals to get it down mm-hmm. further to the desired shade. You might stonewash it again um, to just really get it into all of those beautiful shades. And then you're going to discard all of the acid water, bleach water, yep. um, stonewash water. There are various different um, ways in which you can discard it. And some countries have very strict rules in which you have to have certain treatment facilities and some countries have none. And so literally all these things I'm talking about are just going into a river. Um, There's a really phenomenal film called River Blue that just you know, peers into the underbelly of the denim industry and shows you how just abhorrently shocking it can be in countries with no restrictions as to how you discard of things. But then when you're done beating all of that up and you've washed them and dried them and you want to hand process them so you're going to get someone to literally spray potassium permanganate on them, which is Mm -hmm. a chemical, and then scrape them and rip them and tear them and it's a, it's really just in the way that i've described this we've used three or four hazardous chemicals we've beaten them with rocks and stones and it's just been a very consumptive process so what these companies set out to do that we work with is how do we mimic all of those procedures in completely new ways so hmm. there's a few technologies one of them is an eflow Machine, which basically takes a cup of water, the equivalent of a cup of water, and turns it into a vapor spray that has an enzyme on the skin of a nano bubble. So the vapor spray makes these little nano bubbles. And when they hit the denim and they explode, it causes little abrasions. Hmm. Um, And so that's obviously we're talking about a cup of water to do that process. And then that's a clean discharge as well. The ozone machine takes O2 and converts it into O3, which um, is a natural gas that'll, I guess you would say it's kind of like exposure it'll allow the color to come down. Um, you could actually leave something in the in the ozone for an hour and it'll bleach it, which we used to do with our vintage stuff. Um, and it's also disinfecting. And then at the end of the process, it reconverts the O3 back into O2. So there's no there's no harmful discharge. And then instead of potassium permanganate and um, hand scraping and cutting, we use lasers. So you just design the pattern on the computer and then the, the laser burns all the whiskers and the holes into the gene. So that'll give you
0: to be more efficient really too, right? I mean, it's more efficient responsibility, just really being efficient.
1: Yeah. And now if you put both of those pairs, Mm -hmm. the aforementioned and then the way that I just described them next to each other. Now the technology is so good that they will look identical, but truly behind the curtain, it's a completely different industry. It's a different practice. Like it's not the same. And that's what I always say in, when I'm showing the product to buyers is like, you know, you look at a rack of triarchy and you think, oh, look, it's a rack of denim. Like I've seen a rack of denim for sure. the last however long <laughs> I've been in this business. But the truth is behind behind the scenes, there's nothing similar about how we make jeans to how they've been made traditionally. It's completely different.
0: When you talk about the the business side of, of e-commerce versus getting into boutiques or selling wholesale, like what has that journey been like? And, and how do you see, even with the you know, the emergence, obviously, of e-commerce the last sort of decade is sort of exploding. Is yeah, that the majority of the business or do you still no, like to be in stores? Because jeans is like, you still have to try them on, right? That's the yeah, sort of the so caveat of all this. Is
1: <laughs> First, so what we learn and what we keep learning is that denim is not an easy online purchase. A lot of the online purchases, people will buy three sizes Mm. And then, you know, try on what what works, send back what doesn't. And so for me, I really think the in-store experience is pivotal for jeans. You need to go in and try on styles and sizes and see what, you know, what, and the thing too is, you know, if you have just spent the last 10 years wearing stretch Mm -hmm. and let's say you're a 28, stretch is very forgiving. And so you're a 28 and you're, and then you want to pivot over to rigid. And so you order a 28 and that doesn't fit right? because in reality, a lot of brands have been doing vanity sizing forever. Plus you have stretch plus you have. So those numbers on the tags, it's such a, yeah. there's such a disparity. It's not uniform. Across. It's not, it's not yeah. uniform. So one brand, you're a 25, one brand, you're a right. 26, totally. one brand, you're a 27, one brand, you're a 28. So, when people are coming and they're buying something online and you know, it's just there's no uniformity and it and it just becomes a really big problem. Whereas if you're in a store, you just grab a handful and try them on and then be like, okay, these work. And so yeah. interestingly, our wholesale business is doing really incredibly. We I think we came up at an at an interesting time where, you know, the pandemic really shone a light on, I think for a lot of stores, it just really highlight that on the tail end of this, it's going to be really hard to try to get people to buy things that are just here for the sake of buying them. Mm. And so maybe we should try to get behind brands that are actually trying to do things better and that can back up what they're doing. And so a lot of our wholesale partners came to us um, out of curiosity for what we were doing and then really resonated with what we were doing and brought us on board and not only just brought us on board, but really leaned on us to shout about what we were doing and then through their their teams um like the ESG teams they really started bringing on people that were asking us hard questions mm-hmm. so instead of just trusting us because a lot of the times was we'll sort of sure. say, oh cool these guys are sustainable like yep. let's use that word and say yep. that that's but now i'm getting emails can you please send us the organic cotton certificates? Can you please show us your receipts from TENCEL? Can you you, you know they're asking hmm. me to send them the carbon offset certificates and all, all you're of like these happy things. to do it, been, I'm waiting, like, for this. <laughs> been means, waiting for I this have, for years. <laughs> truly, I I have all these folders that have just been collecting dust on the desktop, and now I'm firing off certificates <laughs> and and it's and it's You know, I I think one of the main deterrents for people to go down this road is like, oh, like if someone asks me something and I don't have the answer, it's going to make me look bad. But the truth is, if I get asked something and I say, oh, we don't have that, thank you for shining a light on where we had a gap. Great, let's fill that. It's all good. It's not, no one's out for blood here. Like we're just (laughs) helping each other out and, you know, moving in a better direction. So the wholesale partners have been great for those two reasons one because i think they already have a very strong following each individually to themselves and they really do want to start shouting about more responsible practices Um, and so if people can go in for those reasons and then just grab a handful and see what actually works in real life and leave the store with something then that makes everybody happy
0: you had mentioned uh before we got on the call you had you know can't come to a first sort of you know expo actually here and In Amsterdam and I guess it was what like a denim sort of like expo or or conference That's
1: the big it's the the world's biggest it's the confluence of all the denim everythings
0: give us an overall feel of of what was going on sort of what is top of mind for whether it's buyers you know obviously you know manufacturers and makers just give us a lay of the land of just the denim industry right now and are you sort of optimistic or deeply frustrated around you know, the use of the S word everywhere.
1: Right? Oh, well, I'm deeply frustrated by the use of the S word because, well, but there's two things at play here in reality, when we started out trying to make the brand more responsible, I never even saw that word. Mm-hmm. So we were literally knocking on doors and just trying to make sense of what, what it all meant. But, and so what I see now on the vendor side is everyone is using that language and so, even though I do find it to be frustrating, it's in a way it has to it has to engender some optimism because you're seeing that everyone knows this is an important topic, and mm-hmm. if you want to have relevant products, you have they have to fall under this umbrella. So everyone is following suit. I didn't do a deep enough dive into people, and you know. I think one of the main things about sustainability too, is just picking a few partners and working with them. Mm -hmm. And so I know there's a lot of phenomenal mills out there and I don't work with them because I want to have a mill that's close proximity to our factory so that it can keep the carbon emissions down and just getting the fabric there. Um, So I didn't really do a deep dive into every vendor there and there were hundreds, but it's a double-edged sword because I hate the word and I think it's lost all integrity, like I've said. And so when I walk around these things and I just see sustainable, sustainable, I'm just like, but what does it even mean? Like you need to, you know, but in the sense that everyone is using it, I think that, at the end of the day, it must be producing better options for brands Mm -hmm. and it must be making it easier for brands to start using better materials. So, you know, and even when I see one of the big fashion, the big fast fashion brands doing their sustainable capsules, which are maybe 0.04% of their total yield for the year. But I think any effort is good effort too. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to be all pessimistic and say it has to be this way, or it's not, you know, I think if it's piquing someone's interest when they're walking past and they're thinking, well, but then if they're coming in and they're buying all non-sustainable products, then that's, it's greenwashing and it's problematic. But I, this is a big topic that I've started. Yeah, down, I think the, but-
0: <laughs> no, the, I think the idea is that it, it gives the consumer an option. And if consumers buy only those in the product line, then they would probably have to make more of that know, type but, of thing. But it's but I it's always think, gonna be a double-edged sword though. It's but just, in
1: terms of this last example that I gave, it's the truth is the business model of fast fashion could not be. That's what I'm saying. It's impossible. That they're, responsible. So it, it, it's impossible, not even a conversation. Yeah. It's, it's impossible. It's thanks impossible. To the yeah. effort, but you know, it yeah. has more integrity to just just do what you're doing.
0: Like, exactly exactly fine. because then it's just yeah i mean there look this is a real again we can go down this, this really crazy crazy topic but it's almost like uh what's the word where you get sued for like advertising and it's like not basically you're just like it's false claims right
1: well and there's no regulations around and, and this is and sort of this is what i'm
0: getting to is right. like yeah it is if you if you say this word right, you can't have false advertising. If let's say fifty percent of your product line is not such, a, there needs to be
1: well. And the European you know, Union is putting that into play or trying to. And I think that those efforts will actually put a framework in place finally that at least you know it'll start separating the 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 people with good intentions to the people who are just using the language. But I will say. I honestly think a lot of, not a lot of the time, but I think there's a big chunk of greenwashing that is not ill-intentioned. I think a lot of the times sure. people, designers and stuff will go and they will talk just to the uneducated. and they'll take it at face value and go, yep. oh, there's that word and there's that recycled water bottle. Let's just take yep. that and throw it on the wall of the store. And we did it and we're good. And they are yep. well-meaning, but they didn't ask any hard questions. They didn't do any deep dives, and so they just, and so everyone is taking everything at face value, and then passing this greenwashing thing along. And people aren't sitting there going, "Excellent, we are going to," you know, it's not malicious. They're doing what's like easy, that. right? They're just doing. They're the just easy. doing what's yeah. easy. Okay, this yeah. worked, cool, we did it, sustainable. Thanks for throwing that up there. But then, but that's the thing. At this point, if you're not asking the hard questions and prepared to get some answers that are going to be tough and challenging to move through then. Because the
0: tough, the tough thing is what you guys did. It's, you're going to have to take a step back and rethink your entire supply chain, your entire ecosystem, and even your entire business model. And that's a hard fact. And most people won't, most companies won't do that. You know, majority won't, right. I mean, this is going to be a very, very small amount. Well, and that was
1: something so symbolic about taking a step back and literally taking a step back on the alphabet, like I said, to R, and just using responsibility and staying there comfortably. Because I just, if you're not prepared to do difficult things that are going to make it, like to be a denim brand that doesn't have plastic stretch is just, it doesn't happen.
0: How difficult would that be? would that be right? Is that something that these big denim brands can only do in like 10% of their line? Right. And then they say, Hey, this is our sustainable line. And that's, I mean,
1: let, let, let me be fair that I think we, we had it easier because of the size of the business. Fair. Um, The plastic free stretch, the natural rubber is not cheap. It's expensive. And so when you're a company that has shareholders and bottom lines and things like that, And you want to propose using a fabric that's $4 more per yard because of this and this. And everyone's thinking, but the other stuff works, right? Yeah. Well, then I think we're just going to go ahead and stick with that because bottom line. And so, you know, I think we were in a unique position because of the size of the company and the, we were we were able to be limber and pivot and do these things. But if you're a huge company or even just a bigger company than ours, it's a, it's a diff it's a, it's a harder thing to implement for sure. So yeah, yeah I guess to be fair, uh, we had, uh, we had that, on, we had that on our side, but, but the point I'm trying to make is that do what you're going to do, but yeah. don't lean on language that is not really carrying the level of integrity but they're
0: sure it's trending right so (laughs) they these these big brands just hop on whatever's trending right and and that's how they maneuver that's how they move and so if if something's hot they're gonna take it for as long as it's top of mind for people and then it'll be something else right like that's just how they move and how they work but my hope is is that you know the smaller brands the smaller batch brands like they continue to get supported economically through consumer habits. That you know, eventually they might just go out of business, and then those people don't lose jobs. Those people go work for
1: well, and they're that's possible the, the companies, right? <laughs> if you look at the pie chart of the market share that's available. There is room for everybody. It doesn't have to be one or two companies taking 90%. We all can have room in here to run healthy businesses that keep people employed, that have great lives, that do better things, that inspire better materials, that that world is available to us if we decide to switch into it. And so that comes from the consumer. And one of the most important things that I realized on this whole journey Because parallel to this whole sustainable pivot for, oh, I can't believe I just used that word. (laughs) Parallel to the responsible pivot of (laughs) triarchy was also a responsible pivot for myself personally and trying to figure out what about our humanity got us to where we are right now. And I looked at it from a macro perspective and just, it became really clear to me that we are designed to react on impulse and then all of these things that have come up in the last 10 years has have been designed to just make that reaction to impulse time even shorter and quicker yeah. and just now 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 move 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 bye 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 like what's next instagram snapchat all the things tiktok let's see yep. the and so it just became really clear to me that if you give yourself pause in any decision making process and i always whenever i talk to students and stuff it's just You give yourself, whenever you want to buy anything online in real life, you just, you love it. You're excited. You have it in your hand, put it down for a few minutes and just walk away, go grab a coffee, go to the bathroom. If you're on your computer, just literally move away and let that react, that dopamine impulse Mm. moment pass Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then come back and, and re-engage and notice how many times you don't continue checking out. Because it's just a human chemical thing in our brains. It's hmm. just, I want this. It's it, the chemicals are flowing. I need to satisfy it. And if you're not giving yourself that, that moment to pause and you're just reacting on impulse all the time, why do you think you have a closet full of stuff you never wear or you wore yeah. one once and you're like, I don't really want that. So it's the whole, f- and then I just, during the pandemic, because I didn't leave the house for a year, I, I wrote a book on this. Because it's just, it's just how, what are things you can do in your life to just make your life better? Just brief little lessons on these little things you can do that you don't need any tools for that you just have to realize that they're happening and then mm-hmm. put them aside for a minute and then notice how much less you consume and how much less you need to go here and do this and do that. And just, there's nothing more luxurious than peace mm. and just time and peace and quiet and you know what's the book called <clears throat> setting an intention 11 brief lessons on achieving your greater good it available is, yeah. on amazon it is yeah yeah and it's just i wrote this as a it's literally 11 chapters and they're brief the story on how this all came to be is is in the introduction <laughs> and it's pretty funny but and then Do each it. chapter is paired with this little narrative story about the hero, which is you climbing up the side of the pyramid um, and how you implement the lesson from the chapter Mm. into getting to the top of the pyramid. And then from the top of the pyramid, you can see everything. And Mm. it's just, it's just a little tale, you know,
0: I like to end on a little bit of the future. So, you know, three to five years, what goals do you want to succeed in, you know, from, from a company and and brand perspective, And and it could be from personal as well. But when you look at that three to five year, you know window what are some of the goals that that you want to achieve
1: i think that one of the goals that's really important to me is is growing a brand responsibly as much as making responsible products and mm-hmm. so we're having a really nice moment and and we're in all the stores we've ever wanted to be in and the partners are very invested in us and it's great but i think it would be really nice to just work with those partners and grow a nice business without how do we blow this up right. and so that also allows me the time to keep working with mills to innovate fabrics we just had this amazing collaboration uh that's coming out with Burberry Goodman and it's a uh, it's a non-gmo cotton that's just completely like Hmm. natural cotton never touched never altered and the seed and the cotton is brown and so when you weave the denim it's this beautiful dark brown color that we would be used to because it dies and this is literally Uh. just the plant um and so things like that really excite me and so to be able to have the time and those non-reactive moments to just sit and think about how we what direction can we take fabrics what direction can we take thread what direction can we take buttons i just saw the coolest mm. thing i saw in amsterdam was biodegradable button for jeans hmm. how cool is that because that's a big problem when you want to compost something you have to yep. take the hardware off but this button is it biodegrades things like that are so cool and they they are what progressed this industry. So to be able to just keep innovating on fabrics and dyes and processes and just making our products as circular as possible and then continuing to responsibly grow the business in a way that it'll reach people um, and can resonate with them in their moments of pause. I think something about that feels so calm to me. And I think that that's fashion is always so fast paced and frantic and I need it and you have it and who's this and who's Mm -hmm, that. And mm -hmm. I think it can be a lot, it can be a lot calmer. And I think that's something that I value a lot. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, we can do a whole another episode, another time around, I always like to say, like finding your scale because we always talk about growth and, and scale, but, that could mean different things to different people and mm-hmm. to different companies, right? Because you might have a number say, hey, we want to just do annual sales of this because if we go to this point, can we still scale our responsibility, scale our impact? And then, at some point, no. Yeah, at some point, no. Exactly, at some point, no. So like there's, there's, there's always, to me, there's always a, a growth where or a scale to a point where you say, okay, meet this goal. Now let's think about, different ways we can double down on our responsibility right since we've reached this pinnacle let's well said. look yeah look at different ways well thanks so much adam this is great great conversation i love having these Pleasure. in-depth talks about with people who just understand the industry man and have taken really a, a step back in their own lives and then their company's lives to assess or reassess you know what what their their work in life wants to be like right you're dedicating so much time to this you know you might as well do a something interesting and original right that, that you can Thanks. talk about that sure nobody that. else is doing so no you, my best of luck for the next decade
1: right on you too